With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi everybody, I'm Tracy Swedlow and this is Television Nation. I'm super excited to welcome Philip Gilpin Jr., who is the CEO and Executive Director at the Catalyst Story Institute, which is located in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, but uh, so, hi, Philip. How are you doing? I'm good, Tracy. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm I'm thrilled you're here. Of course, the most important thing, of course, is today is the 95th anniversary of the invention of electronic television. Today. Yes, today. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Uh, here in San Francisco. Anyway, so here we are talking about television, and um, you have been involved with this for how many years? I have been at the helm of Catalyst now for 10 years, um, but I've been in the industry uh, since I got out of college back in 2003. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Catalyst Story Institute is a sort of well-known, uh, well-respected event or a year-round sort of organization, but it's only sort of well-known by those in the know, right? It, in some ways, it's in stealth. I wouldn't say in stealth mode. You're, you're out there. But people who know about um, writing for television uh, know about this organization, but I think there are a lot of people out there who don't know that you exist, and that's why you're here to tell us. And of course, you're about to show up at TVOT very soon in yes. October, but you've got your own um, festival coming up. So if you could quickly, you know, give us a roundup, a little bit of where you came from and exactly what does the Catalyst Story Institute do, which I will just, the, the short log line is that you help people develop episodic television. Right. Yeah, and you're right. It's, uh, we are a little stealthy in the industry for sure. And the, the reason for that has to do with the heart of the, uh, the issue with what we see to be the problem with independent television, which is nobody knows about it. <laughs> um, and what's been happening very quietly, although I don't know that it's quiet anymore with the generational shift that's happening, um, is when you flash back to 2006, when this organization started, there were no independent television festivals in the United States. It was started in Los Angeles. Its original name was ITV Fest, the Independent Television Festival. And its mission then is what is the same as our mission is today, which is discover, develop, advance, and curate the best independent episodic artists and content. And I, I highlight episodic there because that's the heart of what makes us different and why I think we're still a little stealthy, although hopefully that's changing soon. Um, we don't do film. And that's an important distinction today more than ever before. Um, there's a lot of film schools. There are a lot of film festivals. The film circuit is well-defined. If you wake up in the morning and decide you want to make a film, there are financing mechanisms, there's production, there's distri distribution. It is a well-oiled machine and it has been 
since the 70s and 80s with the advent of Sundance and things like that. Um, and yet we live in the golden age of TV. And we live in an age where generations of people under the age of 40 are watching short form episodic content on any device you can find. And yet the TV industry doesn't have, well, it doesn't know that it has that mechanism in place to find, discover, and curate what's going on in the indie TV realm. And that's why we started and that's why we still exist today is to eat up that space that like the Sundances and Tribeca's and Cons do for the indie film side. We're on the episodic side. Um, why? Creating an episodic is a totally different business and creative venture than creating a film. Uh, and the underlying differences need to be known by the creators from the start. And we get a lot of people who come into our episodic realm having learned how to make a film and they come in and they get frustrated by the TV process because it's years of development. It's relationship-based. It starts and stops. It's networks get bought and sold and mergers happen. And all of a sudden this executive is no longer there. And it's by the time you can get through the TV process, the story you wanted to start with might not even be relevant anymore. So there's this frustration happening in the marketplace where you have content creators and storytellers that have devices and distribution mechanisms with digital cameras and internet to be able to tell any story that they want. But you have this kind of old school, slow lurching TV industry that's figuring out how to take, what, a couple hundred of those ideas a year. And usually those ideas that end up on network, let's be honest, right? They end up being the result of somebody who already knew somebody from a major agency or somebody that the network's already worked with before. But so wait, are you are you trying to do this for loading onto, you know, YouTube or are you doing this to try to get it, you know, purchased by a studio? We don't create the content. We're the platform to say, hey, industry, whether you're YouTube, Netflix or NBC, here's what's out there. And, you know, one of the, the frustrating things that I constantly read in the trades is network executives who say, oh, yeah, we're looking for new diverse voices and new stories and new talent. But then they go and they call up the same agent that they've worked with for 20 years and say, hey, who's new on your roster? Um, so I think that if the TV industry really wants to start digging in and catching up to where the Internet world is going when it comes to episodic content, they need to start coming to places like Catalyst and seeing who these artists are and what the stories are and, and start actually buying and putting some money and effort behind this notion of let's find new voices. Because I can tell you every year we get thousands of new voices that come to us from around the world. We spend a lot of time developing, curating and working with those, those voices to make sure that when the industry come knock, comes knocking, they're ready. Um, and the industry is starting to come knocking, but uh, it's it's time for for a more of a collaboration between what is seen as kind of the internet realm and the TV realm. I mean, um, Catalyst uh, used to be called ITV Fest, right, right? As you said, which was in LA, which is the center of the action, really. Although um, you can you can be you can live anywhere these days and develop TV scripts. I get it, but I know that at one point you moved to Vermont. Now you're in Minnesota. Why are you in Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, for those wondering, that's Duluth, Minnesota behind me. This is Lake Superior here that you're seeing. Uh, if you've never seen Lake Superior, it, it's one of the wonders of, of America. you got to come and see it. Um, I, not, not a lot of people know that America has its own inland ocean, but it does. Um, yeah, the, the reason that we moved from out of L.A. was... 
TV is a relationship-based business. And unfortunately, when you hold a festival event in LA or New York or Chicago or Atlanta, it gets drowned out by everything else that's going on in the city, right? It's just one of a bunch of things that's going on. And it can be hard and difficult to, to meet people and build those relationships. Um, and sometimes events in LA in particular seem very salesy. You know, it's just people showing up and saying, hey, are you an agent? I want you to sign me. Or, hey, here's my script. Let me give you my pitch or whatever. And that kind of stuff isn't what we do. Um, we're not an AFM type of thing, right? So we needed to find a location that was more of a relaxed getaway vibe, very similar to what Sundance did by moving from Salt Lake City to Park City. Back, could have gone to Marin, you know. It would have been a lot. Could have gone to Marin. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you're closer to the wine, right? I mean, let's be honest about that. It is nice up there, you know. It's nice up I'm there. In, I'm in San Francisco, so Marin would have been more convenient. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, we may do something out there with you soon. Wink, wink, hint, hint. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, so we just wanted a, a, a retreat vibe where people can can get to know each other around a fireplace and a fire pit and a beer and, and hanging out and talking shop. Um, Vermont was great, but it was too small. The state didn't have the infrastructure needed to actually do production related things. Um, so in 2018, I went on the road and road tripped around America and I drove everywhere, man. I went across this country looking for what would be America's next great independent, not network, not studio, but independent production. What's the place that has all the locations you would need? You could build a soundstage in, you can get incentives, you can get crew. And we found it and we've been building it up in Duluth. Um, there are some projects that are coming through now and getting up to 75% back. That's 75% that they're they're getting back on their productions because of the incentives that are going on in that region. I see uh -huh. on your site, um, you have all kinds of uh, relationships with the government there, right? Or you're offering all kinds of rebates yep. um, and, you know, reasons to come up there and shoot. So that was interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the reason for that was what the content creators in the indie TV realm tell us is, you know, coming to a festival once a year and getting the chance to pitch their show to somebody is wonderful and, and, and it's great. But their real goal at the end of the day is to make a living doing what they love. And that's difficult in the big cities with rents going up 15, 25% a year right now. And so if there's a place like a Duluth where you can actually afford to live and work, have a good quality of life, but also wake up every day and be creative, that's, that's the perfect scenario. So we wanted to find a home that would extend beyond just the four-day festival and be a real year-round place for creative development. Um, you, I know you don't offer free places, but there are, you know, um, uh, retreats out there in the world that give free spots for people just to live there year-round. But you might, you know, consider that because I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Kidding. I know it's, it's it's hard to do that. But yeah. the, the point is, is that this is year-round, but you've got a festival coming up at the end of this month right? Yeah. September 28th through the 1st of October, correct? Yep. And so, I mean, why don't you give us a little bit of understanding of what's going to happen over those few days and, um, and let's sort of have a, a general, a better understanding. Uh, by the way, you know, yeah. one of the things I, I want to mention is uh, yesterday um, I attended a, uh, an online uh, webinar all about, you know, how to build your pitch Bible. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been doing it myself for my own work, but uh, it's not even just being a writer anymore and, and or making relationships anymore. You've got to be this expert pitch Bible, you know, producer. 
You know what I mean? Right. It's like a, I mean, so I'm kind of curious if you incorporate those, that kind of work at your place or if it's really just understanding the content itself. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, no, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, the festival itself is pitches, it's scripts, it's produced pilots, it's produced seasons. Um, there are people out there who are making independent episodic shows. Uh, and when we put them in front of audiences, the audiences really don't know that it was shot for uh, 70% less than an, an hour of network TV costs. They just know that they like it, they like the story, and they want more of it. Um, so that's a bit of the economic revolution that's happening in the indie TV realm is people are now capable of making high quality, independent, episodic content that audiences will watch without needing to spend two to $4 million an hour to do it. Um, so that's one part of it is the video competition. But when it comes to pitches and scripts, we're basically an IP factory. Um, people come to us from around the world with all kinds of IP in various stages. Sometimes they're just pitch decks, sometimes it's scripts, sometimes it's completed video. And our job is how, who do we showcase and how do we, how do we highlight them? Um, and one of the ways we do that is unlike a film festival where sometimes film festivals can feel like the end of the life or the end of the journey of a film, right? Because you make it and you go around and you tour it and, and you see whether it gets bought or not. Um, what we do is we position our festival as the beginning of the journey ahead. So to your point about pitch decks and things, we are basically like a concept show for new IP where people can come and look and go, oh, wow, I'm meeting this creator who's got this show idea and it's in this stage and it needs this type of development with it. Oh, I know who I could package this together with that, that works in this type of content that, you know, so it's all about building those potential connections and relationships um, and, and doing it in a way and in a place that hopefully is easier than just roaming around a big city trying to, you know, get into the right party at the right time. Um, do you have um, sort of uh, group competitions where people like match up and then try to, you know, uh, develop a pitch together or they have a specific project in mind and then they have to de develop a, a piece of IP for that and then they present it? I mean, are you sort of a, a workshop environment as well? Yeah, uh, there's plenty of workshops, panels, labs. There's a lot of interactive uh, environments at, at the festival itself to try to get people started meeting each other. Because um, the process that we've seen be really successful is people will meet at the festival, they'll share their ideas, they'll show each other where they're at in their process, they'll start working together on something, and then they'll start growing this network of people that ends up, uh, somebody's, you know, has the ability to go in and pitch it to somebody who can get it developed or get it financed or all of these different avenues. Um, but what ends up happening in the long term is this relationship building aspect. And it's why you see this logo over my left shoulder. Um, we are the official mentorship program of the National Academy of TV Arts and Sciences. And the reason that we are thrilled about that is- But that's the East Coast. That's, that's the East, yeah, that's a good point. That's the East Coast folks. And the East Coast folks have been talking with the West Coast folks- Forever. For What's that? They've been trying to get it together. Exactly, exactly. exactly. And I will say, um, what I'm hearing and seeing is that it, it, the relationship is, is better than it's ever been, which is really positive. Um, because what's happening is, this is interesting. The independent episodic creators, especially in the scripted space, they can't get onto the primetime Emmys, right? Because primetime has always been defined by the time of day that your program airs. Well, these are internet shows. They are 24 seven. 
So what they've been doing is they, these scripted shows have been being nominated and applying for awards through the East Coast Emmys and foregoing the West Coast primetime folks. Now that might sound blasphemous or like, hey, scripted is supposed to be West Coast and everything else is supposed to be East Coast. That's just not the way that the new generations of content creators but, think or know about the Emmys. But your friend and my good friend, Brian Seth Hurst, was one of the founders of the interactive media peer group, IMPG, within the Emmys, yes. which enabled the West Coast Emmys to award, uh, you know, trophies or plaques or whatever it was, um, you know, to to programs like this, to yes. independent videos and things like that. So, are you saying that you're not your your group is not necessarily able to apply for those? Well, it's that content creators don't know if they can and how to do it. It's an education gap problem. And that's what we're trying to solve through our relationship with the East Coast Emmys is to try to help the creators understand what is the Emmy process? What are the two academies? What are all the different opportunities that are out there? Um, because I think for a lot of creators in the independent scripted space, the way that they know the system is, well, in order to be able to be nominated for an Emmy of any sort, I need to somehow sell my show to Netflix first. Right. And that's not true. But there's nobody out there educating the content creators how the system works. And that's what that's the gap. One of the many education gaps in the TV industry that we're trying to fill. Well, I mean, um, how would you explain to somebody with, uh, you know, like an independent drama, you know, like one of the ones you have on your site that have won recently, like the uh, circus person? I saw circus that. Person, yeah. Circus yeah. person. Like, if you were to recommend to that filmmaker, um, you know, uh, to target Netflix, to target Hulu, to target uh, another, a smaller um, independent uh, um, um, OTT offering that might be starting up to offer new uh, original content versus launching it, um, you know, perhaps on the internet, less red tape, they don't, maybe they don't have to worry about relationships. Like, what's the process of advising people? What do you, what do you say? How do, how do you help them go through the process of making those decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's the hardest part of the industry where most creators kind of get tripped up is what do I do? How do I do it? And what order is, is there a right order to things, right? Um, that's why we have our year on Institute process. So it's why we're called the story Institute. We're not called a, a TV festival anymore is because we work with these creators on a year round basis. And the first thing that we do is we meet with them. Who are you? Where are you from? Why are you interested in doing this? What, what experience have you had? What knowledge gaps do you need filled? And we try to start with just getting to that baseline that you just described, which is what is the process and how does it work? Um, once that's all good and ready to go, um, you know, and, well, and I should back up for a second. It's interesting. We get a lot of creators who are brand new, super talented, and the industry is just a total mystery to them, right? And so we, we help them get their bearings on that. We also get people who already have Emmys on the shelf, who are well-known people, who are working in writer's rooms on network shows, who are directors on network shows, and they're doing their own independent projects, and they get confused as to what to do and where to go with their stuff, too. So it's not this notion of once you break through and you get into a writer's room or you get on a show somewhere in some capacity that all of a sudden you have this open golden ticket to continue to move all your projects forward. It, it, you're still constantly right back in the independent boat uh, with every project you do. So that's where the education process comes in. And, you know, one of the interesting things 
that one of the gentlemen from the East Coast Emmys told me last week was the... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The biggest challenge he's seeing with people submitting for awards is that they don't understand the difference between regional and national Emmys. And they will unfortunately go out there and in their their efforts to promote themselves and promote their show to a national audience, they will sometimes end up disqualifying their ability to be part of a regional Emmy process. And so that's part of the confusion too, is how does, what's the best path for a creator, right? I mean, look, we all know what every creator wants. They want their big deal. They want their, their, their sign check from a network or a studio. And that's a good short-term goal for anybody to have. But when it comes to building a sustainable career, is that really the next best thing for somebody where they're, with where they're at in their process? Um, and that's part of what we help them figure out through the Institute. I, it seems to me like it's kind of like a, a university for television. In a way, yeah, um, but, guidance system. But, and I know, I know you're, you're offering scholarships and all kinds of other things, but pretty much this is a, an in-person experience, right? And it can be costly, I mean, it depends on what your, you know, your income is, but, you know, a few thousand dollars if you're there year round or you can be in touch. But um, to what extent, you know, um, are you able to reach out internationally to people who can't make it to Duluth or, you know, don't like to fly or are too busy or, or have kids and they can't come, you know, but they want to learn. They want to be part of your community. How are you with community outreach versus in, you know, in person? um retreat mode yeah that was one of the the great things that came for us that came out of COVID. was we were forced to fast forward our ability to reach people on a virtual basis so that it didn't all have to be in person in duluth um, so we spent the last couple of years building out our capability of doing institute meetings and events uh anywhere uh and what that's kind of turning into is early next spring we're going to be announcing some new regional hub cities around the U.S. where we're going to be going and doing live events in those hub cities. Um, we already have an international relationship with a number of countries through a previous partnership um, that we had through a program at the State Department. Um, so we are starting to plant those seeds so that you know we can have our friends from South Korea who were in Duluth last year uh, continue to be in touch with the U.S. industry. Uh, but also we're starting to see a lot of interesting international connections. We have 
some creators from Mexico that are starting to talk with executives from Brazil and vice versa. So it's not just all about bringing creators to the U.S. market. It's also about what are the connections between the different markets that are out there. Um, and that's a that's a fascinating space. You know, one of the one of the internal data point internal data points that we have from a lot of the events that we hold and surveys that we do is less than five percent of people who watch TV under the age of twenty five watch it on a legacy network. There's actually a percentage of people under the age of twenty five who have never heard of NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox. My my daughter um, my my daughter every once in a while while we're trying to watch something you know on uh, on demand said let's watch regular tele whatever she calls it and she gets excited about the serendipity you know of running into something on NBC or, or one of the diginets like Me TV or you know what yeah. you know she she finds it novel yeah well and I find I find it exciting because you know we have a, a fifteen year old and a six and a four year old in our household and. What I find really exciting is the consumer doesn't necessarily care as much today about the brand of the distribution channel it's watching the, the content on. It just cares about the content. <laughs> so that's a big change, right? It used to be, oh, you wouldn't watch something on CBS because NBC had a better run of comedies going in the, at that time or whatever, right? There was a branding element to television that has melted away. Uh, especially melted away for the younger generations. Well, and that makes it a little more pure, I think. Uh, well, speaking of um, brands and things like that, I mean, the, the whole idea of uh, the entertainment industry or the television uh, aspect of it is that it's a business, right? And right. to what extent are you um, in the business of teaching them about the business? Maybe that's not so important at this point. I mean, that's what we do. Um, you know, we're we're allowing people to talk about measurement and tracking and distribution and the you know personalization and broad innovation and broadcasting and all the new types of content and you know monetization opportunities. So that's why we are inviting you to come speak at TVOT to sort of you know bring your perspective. But to what extent is the catalyst in the business of of doing that same thing? I'm not worried about competition. I I think people who are in um, who are creating content need to understand the industry too um, and how it works, not just like the layers of agents and the layers of, of, um, of people you need to know, but they need to understand what's coming down the pike. Do mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, they need to understand the fact that uh, the broadcasting industry is exploding in a whole variety of new ways that most people don't know about. Anyway, I hope I'm not answering my own question. So, well, yeah, it, no, it, you know, collaboration, right? We're, we're a nonprofit. We're not in this uh, as an organization for for the money. We don't uh, we don't try to acquire IP. We don't buy or sell IP. We're the platform on which people discover stuff and the place where people make connections. And you're absolutely right. Creators these days, especially in episodic space, need to know the business of how it works. Um, and they need we, to know terms. They need to know what yeah. MTT means. They need to yeah. know the difference between linear, you know, and on demand. Uh, yeah. I yeah. Some basic well, one of the, one of the gravest mistakes we see creators make every year at our festival, at our events is they just know that they want an agent or a manager. They know they need or want representation. And so they go to an event that we're hosting and they find the nearest rep that they can and they start basically like pitching themselves to them. And 
it turns out that this person's an actor, but the person they're talking to is a literary rep. They don't know that they didn't take the time to know the difference between a talent agent and a lit agent or these types of things. So those are those knowledge gaps of the business that we try to fill in because you're right. When you start talking about things like data and tracking and distribution and audiences, you know, that's where we lean on partnerships like yours and others to help come in and, and educate, you know, a lot of creators who, let's be honest, a lot of creators want to be our, our artists. They don't want to be business people. They, they, they are writers and directors and directors and producers at heart. And that's okay. And they should be able to do that. But with where our industry is and what's going on, you're right. It is kind of forcing people to have to learn a bit more. And, you know, I got my career started um, right out of the gate, out of college, working at HBO. So I was a business affairs analyst in the Santa Monica office uh, in the early 2000s. And some of the contracts that came through my office were Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Sex and the City, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Wire. I, I got lucky and I got to learn the TV industry from the paper level on the biggest possible shows. And the kind of aha moment I had after being there for a while was these creators who are getting paid a lot of money and who have been in the industry a long time, and some of whom have really big famous names, have absolutely no idea how the business of this, the, the, this industry works. And what that sets up is an environment where the industry can take advantage of creators. And so that was one of the reasons I left the industry side and went over to kind of the nonprofit education side was to help fix that so we can help creators understand the business as good as possible uh, before they get into a situation where we have it happen every year. Every year we have a situation where somebody will come to the festival with an amazing show. Somebody will come up to them and offer them a deal for it. And they'll turn to that financer and say, Hey, that's amazing. Let me go back and talk to my three other co-producers. We never signed contracts with each other. We don't know how we want to split the money. Like, and the deal never happens. So that's again, another gap that, you know, we aim to exist to try to fill. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the content itself, because uh, you're getting to see a lot of, uh, of new content emerging and what people want to do um, to see whether or not people are educated about what's happening in the market, because they need to be kind of up on the current work that's out there, which is a, a, a full time job in and of itself. Right. To yeah. try to understand um, the, what, thousands of shows. Who knows? I'm not even sure. Um, but what what are you seeing? Any interesting trends? Do you see um, any anything interesting that people want to produce that maybe um, Hollywood's not ready for yet? Any sort of thoughts generally on on emerging? Yeah, I think to go back to your opening comment about us being stealthy, I think that's one of the stealthiest, greatest things that we do in the industry. Is for a long time the internet and independent TV realm has been called the Wild West. Um, we we tame it. We regulate it. We figure out what are, who are the best creators? What are the best shows out there? What are the, the ideas and IP that are ready to be developed and brought to market? And those, so we, we find and, uh, and curate those things, which like you said, is a full-time job on its own. Um, we see an amazingly, and we watch an amazingly different world of TV than anybody listening to this broadcast does. Because Unless you're involved with Catalyst 100%, we're the only place you're going to see this collection of shows all together at once uh, or over a course of time. And 
we see hundreds and hundreds of really amazing programs a year. We have thousands of programs and people submitted to us every year. We, we work with a couple of hundred um, and the themes that evolve tend to be two to three years ahead of where society goes. It's fascinating. Um, for example, back in 2018, 2019, there were a lot of shows and pieces coming through that had to do with economic and racial inequality. Uh, a, a significant uptick over the amount that had been there before. Um, and I think it leads to the thing we all know, which is artists have their fingers on the pulse of society, right? Uh, any type of artist, that, that's kind of their job is to view the world through a lens that maybe everyday life and, and people aren't, aren't looking at it through. Um, so if you're interested in what is out there in the zeitgeist, what are the artists thinking and what kind of stories and shows do they feel really need to be told? We're, we've got them. And the thing I love most about my job is we get to meet people and watch their work. And they're telling shows that are once removed from the raw, organic, either place or people where it happened. They're not all documentaries. A lot of it's scripted. But when we get a show that is about a coming of age story and a romance in, in Chicago, it's real and it's raw and it's accurate. Um, it's authentic. And that's the cool part for me is we get to see all the stories and artists before it gets into the development process and gets network notes and gets advertising notes and gets branding problems and gets all the things that happen. Um, it's, it's episodic storytelling and absolutely it's purest form and, and we love it. Let's talk a little bit about the types of speakers you have at your upcoming event. Like I saw a whole, I saw various people that I know um, yeah. who are going to be there, like Jason Kyle, who we just interviewed recently. Uh, and um, Chris Paff, of course, who I've mentioned to you before, who's going to be moderating at TVOT. Um, but I also noticed a whole bunch of casting directors, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And you also have people from the local Minnesota community. You have people from Hollywood who have their own production companies. Um, it's a, a cornucopia of people interested in, you know, those early days of, of how content gets produced. And it, it feels a little bit like um, Sundance before mm -hmm. Sundance got hot, I suppose, mm -hmm. or maybe it is hot already. But it, would you characterize it like that? Yeah, when we're talking to general public, non-industry people, the easiest way that we describe ourselves is we're Sundance for TV. Um, and the reason I feel comfortable saying that is one of my personal mentors and people who have helped us build this organization uh, is one of the co-founders of Sundance itself. Uh, back before it was even Sundance, she was one of the co-founders of the US Utah Film Festival back in the late 70s and ended up working with Robert Redford to turn Sundance into what it is today. Uh, and it was her festival and his institute that ended up combining, right? Um, and she's a constant reminder that, yeah, Sundance went 10 years where nobody knew what it was. Um, and then it was in the mid 80s, when I think Soderbergh sold Sex Lives and Videotape, that all of a sudden the industry started paying attention and going, hey, there's some economic value to this independent film stuff. Uh, we should be there. And then, all, and then you know, off to the races. Um, Independent TV is right at that exact inflection point, as you mentioned. Uh, Catalyst is not a household brand name right now, um, but with the 17 years of groundwork behind us, with the types of speakers and people that are attending, uh, they all share that passion for, like you said, 
the, the early stages of episodic content, right? Because that's really the heart of the difference here. Film festivals are places where you go to see finished products and you, you get to decide whether or not the thing you want to buy, uh, you, whether or not you like it, it's done. Um, episodic's different. Episodic is, hey, I have an idea for a show. I need $10 million. And the person says, great. How much do you, uh, how much are you going to spend it on when? Give me a, you know, an ROI calculation um, on and on and on. And you're like, I don't have any of that information yet because we haven't made the show yet. So it's entirely relationship-based and it's a totally different process. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you see Sundance and Tribeca and South by and Austin, these con, these film festivals, Toronto. Toronto, they're tacking on independent or TV categories. And that's great. But what they're really doing is taking like 10 shows that are already probably developed through the network system that already have pretty well names attached and they're just giving them PR sh showcases. Um, we're doing the thing that Sundance did back in the eighties, which was actually finding new content and voices. And we're doing it for the episodic realm. I would say, and it's coming. It, I promise you it is coming. Um, that interactivity and storytelling is going to happen. And I would love to see, um, you know, somebody focusing on that in a yeah. sort of concentrated way. I hope you were able to do that there. I think you're not doing that yet. Not yet. We're starting the metaverse XR, AR, VR, interactive. That's what sort of immersion. Stuff. That's immersion, but it's important. Yeah. All that AR stuff. All, yeah, yeah, very important. Yeah, all of that's uh, in, mm -hmm. in the works and, uh, you know, hopefully coming soon. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I think uh, this is a good roundup. Thanks. And I want to make sure that people know how to get to your site. So here's the URL on screen. And uh, that's it for now. And be sure to come meet uh, Philip if you can make it to Duluth, Minnesota at TVOT, which is coming up October 12th and 13th. Because you're going to be, I believe, on our streaming monetization session. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, we'll so, be in Duluth the end of September and I'll be with you in San Francisco out in the middle of October. So. Yeah. All right, yeah. well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Philip. Philip Gilpin Jr. Um, uh, is uh, the CEO and, oh my God, you are Executive Director at the Catalyst Story Institute. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time, Tracy. Uh, I'm Tracy, and uh, that's it. I hope you have a great day. Thanks. I need to come up with a better, I never come up with a really good cut.